Hey everyone, this is Mac, and welcome back to Master of a Few, the podcast where the curious mind meets too much time. Have you ever noticed that Christians practically have their own language? Have you ever noticed that there are some Christians that even other Christians don't understand? I had a conversation just the other day with someone who was trying to come up with how to explain evangelical culture to someone who had never been exposed to it before, but was about to be surrounded by evangelical Protestants. This led to a lively discussion about some terms and phrases and traditions that I don't think anybody actually understands, but are but that are incredibly important to evangelical Christians. So today, I'm going to share at least 10 of them. Here we go. Number one, praying before meals. This one may seem obvious to most Christians, but think about it. Those who have not grown up around Christianity might think it very odd that everyone would sit around a table full of food and not touch anything until someone has said grace, which in itself makes no sense because you're not saying grace, you're saying thanks. This would be especially weird to someone when this occurs in a public place, like a restaurant. It's not even required by the Bible. We just take it from the fact that every time Jesus ate, it says something like he blessed and broke the bread. Number two. Citing God's will for everything. This is not to say that God does not care about everything we do or that he doesn't have a plan or will for our lives. But it is to say that maybe we don't need to cite God's will for absolutely every minute detail. It's okay to just be upset when things don't go your way, but often the evangelical response is, it just wasn't God's will. That's not necessarily the case. God allows a lot of things that aren't necessarily God's will, and a lot of things that are God's will, we screw up and he has to find another way to make it work. It just wasn't God's will, while it can be used seriously and sincerely, is often evangelical for stop being a sore loser and deal with it. Number three, I'll pray about it. This is basically evangelical for I don't really want to, but I don't want to be rude and say no. Now, I'm not saying that Christians don't actually pray to seek guidance from God in situations. However, in my experience, this phrase comes in very handy when you really don't want to do something, but you just don't have the heart to say no. Will you teach the middle school Sunday school class? I'll pray about it. Will you come to Saturday, come on Saturday and do this menial task? I'll pray about it. Will you take on this other extremely inconvenient responsibility? I'll pray about it, but I don't think it's God's will. Number four, traveling mercies. I don't think anyone actually knows what this means, but it is of vital importance that everyone knows to pray for them whenever anybody goes anywhere. And it's also vital to pray for them before beginning every trip, just like before every meal. And it can also be just as awkward when everybody holds hands around a car and starts praying for things like traveling mercies. And maybe this next one, number five, a hedge of protection. I never understood why we go for a hedge. Maybe we should aim a little higher, something a little bit more secure, but that's fine. Anyway, if you ever hear an evangelical pray for safety, you'll probably hear something like traveling mercies or hedge of protection. Number six, waiting on the Lord. This is a phrase that is often a combination of I'll pray about it and citing God's will, and it is the ultimate shut-em-down card. 
if someone is asking you to do something and you'll say you pr you'll pray about it or you've tried saying that you want to make sure it's God's will and they still won't leave you alone about it, play this card. It'll get you off the hook for sure. Just say something like, I'm being patient and waiting on the Lord. It'll get them every time. Nobody wants to be the one to say that being patient and waiting for the Holy Spirit to move is wrong. Use this power wisely though. You might not be able to use it too often or you'll get this next phrase applied to you. Number seven, backslidden on God. Another multiple meaning phrase, this is applied to anyone that a group of people within the church has decided is not serving God in the proper way. Proper way is often defined by that group of people. This could be due to a multitude of errors, including but not limited to missing a church service. Not going to the altar when the sermon was clearly about you. Moving just a few rows too far toward the back of the church. Arriving late to church. Being seen attending an ungodly movie. Being seen listening to ungodly music. Being caught dressing in an ungodly way. Being caught reading the wrong version of the Bible, though this is often reserved for fundamentalists. Essentially, if you are doing anything that people have decided is not a godly thing to do, regardless of the actual morality of it, you will probably be labeled backslidden on God. Number eight, secular versus Christian. These terms are incredibly important and precious to evangelical Christians. Yes, they are generally very arbitrary and the level of secular or Christian can be easily debated and moral value can be assigned. However, as a general rule, if a song mentions Jesus at all, it can be argued as Christian. However, if said song has too much of a rock feel to it, it could be labeled secular. This term finds the most value for marketing purposes. Not enough people want to attend your program? Go to church and advertise it as a time for Christian fellowship. People don't want to listen to your favorite music? Tell them it's Christian. I mean, it talks about love, right? People don't buy your products? Tell them it is a Christian-owned and operated business. Number nine, get your heart right. This phrase is generally used in two different ways and can become interchangeable with other similarly nebulous phrases like turning to God. First, it can be used by any authority figure to tell someone that they believe is in the wrong how they should respond to a situation. This is extremely ambiguous, and the prescribed means by which the sinner is to get their heart right may have absolutely nothing to do with God or God's word. Second, this phrase can be used by any individual who wants people to understand that they have made a drastic change in their life, or not, and wants everyone to be proud of their moral advancement. Let's take a look at some of our previously used examples. I missed church last Sunday, but I got my heart right, so now I'm here. I was just refusing to listen to the Holy Spirit, but once Mrs. So-and-so told me the sermon was about me and that I needed to turn to God, I got my heart right. Bro Brother What's-His-Name told me he heard I was at this concert, or that I saw this movie, or that I dressed this way, or to and told me it was a slippery slope, that's a bonus phrase, and I needed to turn to God, so I stopped speaking to all of my secular friends, broke all of my secular CDs, stopped watching all movies, and got a whole new wardrobe, 
and now I got my heart right. Finally, number 10. Literary devices make everything more holy. I'm pretty sure I used this exact thing in my very first intro segment when I gave my reasons for making this podcast. One of the most useful things for an evangelical to do in in order to prove one's intelligence or otherwise superior qualities is to employ various literary devices. Alliteration is an evangelical's best friend. Your sermon should include three points and all must begin with the letter P, even at the cost of actual meeting and grammatical conventions. Go! Also, because we take our cues from the Bible, instead of using stronger words to emphasize our points, we will just repeat them. We will just repeat them. We'll repeat them. Repeat them. Repeat them. You get the point. It also helps if you get louder each time. Then everyone knows that you are really serious and your point is really, really true. Bonus points if you grip the pulpit really hard and your face turns red. Also, hyperboles are your friends. After all, drinking is not just a bad idea, but each drop of alcohol greases the gates of hell itself and opens the doors a little wider, I said a little wider, as you slide down, sliding all the way down your slippery slope of sin right into the fire. See what I did there? Now, some of you have been listening to this and you're trying to decide whether or not to be offended. Don't be. I too am an evangelical Christian and I use many of these in my daily life. Heck, I still say amen whenever I agree with anyone, regardless of the circumstances. The fact is that evangelicals have a culture all their own. And while there are great things about it, like the fact that nobody leaves a church function underfed and everyone will be hoarse from singing too loud, There are also downsides, like legalism, which leads people to condemn each other and a tendency to forget what is actually important. There's also a tendency in nearly all denominations and other distinctions within Christianity that some have it totally right and others have it totally wrong. Now, I am not saying that absolutely all doctrine is fine. I have some beliefs that I'm not wavering on. I've got some non-negotiables, but you know what? I don't have a monopoly on truth, and to claim that I'm able to understand all of scripture but my brother in Christ couldn't possibly would be prideful and wrong. I have things that I don't do because I believe it would be wrong, but that's my interpretation, and while some things really are black and white, sorry but murder is still wrong, other things tend to fall in some sort of gray space of scripture, and that's okay. Jesus, who lived a completely perfect life, lived in what his society would call a gray space. He hung out around the wrong people. He didn't follow the rules people told him he had to follow. He interpreted other rules differently. And when people tried to get him to condemn a woman caught in a sin, Jesus called out the accusers instead for thinking they had the authority to condemn. Not only that, but Jesus didn't tell them, you got it. You have no right to accuse her, so go away, and then turn to the woman and say, You're lucky I'm merciful, because I can and do condemn you, but I'll have mercy. No. Jesus looked at her and said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The purpose of this segment was definitely to have some fun and laugh at some of the absurd things evangelicals, myself included, say and do. 
But it was also to make the point that a lot of these are rooted in the belief that we know what God wants from us and it's our job to make sure everybody else stays in line. I think it's time Christians as a whole go back to the word of God and look at what Jesus actually says is the most important thing. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Thanks for joining me for today's segment. I hope you found it amusing and maybe a bit enlightening, though no hard feelings if you just thought I was ridiculous. I wasn't actually sure what to do for this week, so this topic came just in time. If you have more evangelicalisms you'd like to share, or some other thoughts or comments or questions or topic ideas, you know what to do. Send them to me on Twitter at at Mac of a few. Thanks again, my friends, and have a brilliant day. Bye.